Let's continue in worship by hearing God's word today. We're starting a brand new teaching through the book of Judges. And I want to read the preamble to the book from the end of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24, beginning in verse 14, all the way through verse 18. This is the word of God to you today. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshiped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt and serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or will it be the, the gods of the Amorites and whose land you live in now? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And the people replied, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. We'll see how that goes. For the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. And he performed mighty miracles before our very eyes. As we traveled through the wilderness among our enemies, he preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land So we too will serve the Lord, for he alone is our God. And this is the last verse in the book of Judges as we begin our study today. In those days, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. God's word to you today. You can be seated. Good morning. Great to see all of you this morning. My name is Chris. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at New City, and we're grateful to be together this morning and to worship, and so grateful uh, for Stuart and our wonderful worship team that leads us every week. Just so grateful for their leadership and the opportunity to gather together in this way today and start a brand new study through the book of Judges. And so if you have a copy of the scriptures, I wanna encourage you to open them to Judges. Um, You can just start in the book of Genesis and start turning right, and you're gonna bump into the book of Judges, and that's where we'll be over the next several months. In fact, um, we've got a little sticker for you today when you leave, an outline of where we're going uh, for the rest of the calendar year. All the sermons and the scriptures Uh, for you to read ahead, uh, maybe to share with other people and invite them to come and be a part of the series. Um, So you're going to be handed one today. You can put it in the front of your Bible or in your your journal where you take notes and want to encourage you to read and take advantage of the the discussion guide that goes along with each sermon series um, and just really engage uh, the study together. So as you just uh, heard, the, the beginning of Judges, um, you know, starts with the people of God, you know, remembering Uh, They're looking back, if you will, and reminiscing on how the Lord has been faithful to deliver them from 400 plus years of enslavery uh, in, in, in Egypt and to bring them to the edge of the promised land to take possession of what God had said was going to be was going to be theirs. And it ends uh, with the passage you heard in Judges 21, the last chapter in the book of Judges, Judges 21, 25, with the people acknowledging that they're not following a king, that, that in those days there, there was no king in, in Israel and everyone did what was what? What was, what was right in their own eyes. They were, they were their own gods, if you will, which goes all the way back to Genesis 3 in the beginning of the fall of humanity is everyone wanting to be God for themselves and sort of, sort of be their own king. And so what happens in between the preamble, the beginning of looking back and the end of Judges with, with sort of straining forward to, to want an earthly king and the rejection of God as their only king is, is quite a ride. And so we're in for a journey together. Uh, I want to encourage you to to be here and uh, to fasten your seatbelts securely and uh, to read the passages as you come in here, engage the discussion guide. As I said, we're going to give you a tool to do that because what happens in between is a wild ride. And speaking of that, when I think about Judges, maybe this will be a kind of an opening image for you to, 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 to remember the book and the theme of just this, this cycle of of sort of remembering God and then straining ahead to forget him and, and want to, wanting to be your own God. When I was a kid, I grew up in Charlotte. And so going to Carowinds was like uh, the apex of, of everything of being a kid. And 
Um, so, you, you know, you, you had a little bit of freedom, uh, sometimes, you know, a little bit of cash to spend. Um, you could stand in two states. Uh, you could be with your friends and do all the things. And it really was the land, you know, flowing with, with milk and honey, as it, as it were, funnel, funnel can, cakes and, and, and Slurpees. And uh, the big thing for me, when I was 10 years old, we got a ride called the Frenzoid. Anyone remember the Frenzoid or ever been on it? Yes, your life has changed forever. Uh, the Frenzoid was like a glorified pirate ship. Okay, so yeah, it, it's, it looks great um, for a little bit. Um, but you stand in line, right, for hours to ride the Frenzoid. And I remember like, like all this anticipation, like we've been waiting. This is going to be so exciting, standing in line for a long time in the heat, wait, you know, waiting to ride. And when you get on, there's like so much anticipation and just nervous excitement, a lot of laughter. And, 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 and you just start out kind of swinging back and forth. And it's fun and your stomach's turning. It's like, this is awesome. And then you can begin to start looking at people's faces and they, they begin to change. Right? And as you go through the book of Judges, this is what's going to happen. It's like, this is exciting. This is really good. This is awesome. And then uh, I don't know what's happening. And you just keep going and you keep going. And then finally, it does this. And you're hanging upside down. And if you've ever ridden it before, you're suspended there for like what feels like an eternity. And so uh, the anticipation, the excitement, the laughter turns to some, some tears, some people crying, people making private vows to God. You know, if I ever get off of this, I promise you, Lord, I will never, ever, and you fill in the blank. And then once it's done doing that, it starts kind of going back to the, and then the, the laughter kind of re- returns, and then you're back on, on, on solid ground. And then after an hour of some Slurpees and funnel cakes, you go, Hey, you want to go ride the friends one again? And you get, you get back in line and you do it all over again. The thing that you told yourself, I'll never do, you, you do it again. And this is the book of Judges, <laughs> all right? It's, it's the people like remembering God and his goodness and his faithfulness. And there's excitement because we're going into the land and we're going to experience all the goodness of God. And then quickly forgetting God and quickly forgetting his goodness and his faithfulness and all the excitement. And it turns to a lot of tears and, 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 and private vows. If you'll get us out of this, God, you know, we'll, we'll never do this again. And then, and then after an hour of, of Slurpees and funnel cakes and whatever, you're right back on the ride again. And, and that's sort of the book of Judges. And, and, and why does this happen, right? Because the book of Judges, I'm going to get into a little bit of introductory teaching here about the, just an overview so we know our context because context is so important when we study the scriptures. And the context of this is that it, you know, it occurs 3,000 years ago. So this is somewhere approximately between 1300 and 1100 BC is the, the time of the judges. And so it's between, um, if, if, if you know your, your, your Bible history, sort of you know, Joshua, Moses, the, the redeemers that led them out of Egypt and, and slavery into the promised land. And, and so it spans from Joshua and Moses to exile in, in 1 Kings 17. So that 325 year period from approximately 1300 you know, BC to about 1000 BC, you know, b- b- before Jesus came, that, that's the period of the judges. And, and why do they, these cycles and this, this kind of, ride go, you know, happen in Judges where people, you know, they remember God and they forget God and they sin and they return to God. And then it happens over and over again, just like the Frenzoid spinning around and around. Well, I think uh, C.S. Lewis and in uh, Mere Christianity, if you've never read Mere Christianity, you know, put, put that on your list. You know, Lewis says this, that, that all that we call human history, so money and poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, uh, empire, slavery, all of it is the long and terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. So really you could, you know, all the way back to Genesis 3, right? Adam and Eve and the, the, the beginning sin of humanity and the downfall of humanity is, is wanting to be like God and trying to find something other than our creator God that will make us satisfied, that will make us, that will make us happy. And of course, there is nothing that we can be satisfied in that will get, bring us fulfillment and purpose and value and meaning other than our relationship with God. But we try and we try and we try and we circle and we circle and we circle and we circle. And what we're going to study together in the book of Judges over the next several months is this cycle you know, of remembering God and following him passionately and then forgetting God uh, you know, having the consequences that come with that and then seeing that God is faithful. When the ride is over with, that God's still faithful. 
and that his mercies never come to an end. They're, they're new every morning. Let me just like, if you're taking some notes, I do wanna give a little bit of introduction and context. Um, Cause again, that's really important. Um, so the structure of Judges, uh, before we jump into chapter one, is really interesting. I, I think this is really cool. Um, the structure of Judges, 21 chapters, but, but basically an outline is, you know, there's an introduction, there's, there's six major judge cycles or kind of spins. Um, and then we see kind of the, the end result of all that in, in chapter 21. And the book of Judges, if you're taking notes, is structured after the book of Genesis. And you may say, well, that's like, how is that? That's really weird. Well, so Genesis and chapter one, the creation narrative begins with an introduction. You know, we, the, the most famous opening words to any book in the beginning. Um, and God begins to, to tell us um, how he created the world. And there's an introduction that there was, the world was, remember in Genesis 1-1, it was formless. Um, it was shapeless. It was, it was chaotic, if you will. And over six creation days, God begins to create and bring order and structure. And at the end of the six days, what does God say? It's very good. And then on the seventh day, the narrative moves from, again, shapeless and formless and chaotic to the Lord being enthroned as the Sabbath king. And God ruling and reigning over the cosmos and creation finding its Sabbath rest under the authority and the reign of the sovereign Sabbath king, God himself. Judges, okay, so you've got introduction, you've got six days of creation um, in, in the book of Genesis, and then you've got Sabbath rest under King, uh, under the Sabbath king, God himself. Judges is the exact opposite. So you've got an introduction that instead of being chaotic and formless, the, the people of Israel have been formed. They've been shaped and they're ruling or they're reigning, uh, excuse me, they're, they're um, underneath the ruling and reign of, of the Sabbath king. So they're under his authority and enjoying uh, living under his rule and his reign as his people. Again, the first words that we read from Joshua, the preamble to the book, hey, we're, we're never gonna forget God. We're always gonna live under his rule and reign because he is the creator, God, who is our Lord. And so there's structure and there's form because everything finds its place uh, in that way as God is ruling and reigning. And then, as I mentioned, there's six major judge cycles. So again, if you're taking notes, you can write that down and we're gonna walk through all of them this fall. And every single one of those turns on the frenzoid, it, it, it gets worse and worse. And, and, the, and the judges, as we're going to see, are very flawed people. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. And every judge cycle gets darker and darker and darker, more and more flawed, more and more chaotic, less form and structure to who the people of God are. So the apex of the creation account, again, is the Lord's enthronement as Sabbath king ruling and reigning and resting over his good creation. And judges the conclusion, you know, after the introduction and the six major judge cycles, the conclusion is a time without a king. In those days, there is no Sabbath king. And don't miss this. In Judges 21, 25, where we're getting the name of our series in those days, it's not just that they didn't have an earthly monarchy, it's that they had rejected God as their king. And so at the end of Judges, at the, at the end of the six major judge cycles, we see instead of them resting under the authority and the reign of the, of the Sabbath king, they're in angst and they're in chaos because they're not living under the created order of God. Does that make sense? And so the rejection of God as king has led to everyone doing what is right in their own eyes, Judges 21, 25, and the undoing of the people of God itself. So, so if you miss everything else today, I hope you'll get this, that what we see through the cycles of Judges, the spins over and over and over again, is the literal uncreation of God's people. So in the Genesis narrative, in Genesis 1 and 2, the creation narrative, the world is being shaped and formed and ultimately is very good and it's underneath the rule and the reign of a sovereign king. And there's Sabbath and rest because of that. At the end of Judges, of, at the undoing of God's created order, there's no rest and there's chaos. And we see the people of God literally being unshaped and unformed as his people. And here's the deal, guys. That was 3,000 years ago but the same is true today. Why are we studying the book of Judges? Because it's just as relevant to us today. 
that when we reject Jesus as our king, you know, one of our values as a church is Jesus as our king, meaning there's a kingdom and we're underneath his rule and his reign. When we reject King Jesus, we're, we're participating in the uncreation of the world. And moreover, it's the uncreation of who God made us to be. So every time we reject Jesus as king, we're becoming less of who God purposed us to be. You see why this is so important? And in those days, as the people continued through all those cycles to reject God as their king, there was no Sabbath. There was no rest because there was chaos. It was formless. And they were participating in the active rebellion against the creator king. And we do the same thing. Here's the bottom line today, just early, early on here. And it's really a bottom line for the whole book. That faithful discipleship, and what does discipleship mean? It means the finding and following of King Jesus in every area of our lives. And that's the lifelong journey for all of us. The finding of Jesus in every area of our lives and following him passionately. That's what discipleship is. And faithful discipleship doing that requires full dependency. And that's what we're going to see all throughout the book of Judges. And that's what we see today. That in order to accept Jesus as our king and follow him in every area of our lives, it requires our full dependence, not partial. And we're going to see that even in chapter one, that when we, when we embrace what I call a portfolio faith, which we're taught as good economics, you never put all your, your trust and all your money or resources into one thing. And we do that with our faith too. I'll put 40% on Jesus. That's a lot. But I'm going to put, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hedge my bets here, so to speak. And that's what we see Israel doing. And that's what we do too, if we're honest with ourselves. And faithful discipleship that is finding and following Jesus in every area of our lives requires us to be all in. Our full dependency Okay, so that's the structure is that I think that's so cool that, you know, all this time later, God takes the, the, the structure of Genesis and the creation narrative and he, he, he implants it into the structure of Judges and we just see the, the literally un, the, the undoing of all of his created order. And that's what leads to the rejection of God as king and, and everyone doing what is right in their own eyes in those days. All right, let's talk about the timeline. I've already mentioned this just a little bit, but again, just for context, the book of Judges takes place between Moses and Joshua. So Moses, of course, is the redeemer, deliverer who brings the people of Israel out of uh, Egypt, 400 plus years of slavery through the wilderness to the edge of the promised land. Moses is, is unfaithful on the journey. God doesn't allow him to come into the promised land. His successor, Joshua, is actually leading the people into the promised land. And so the, the time of the Judges and what it captures here is 325 years, approximately from the time of Moses and Joshua to the times of 1 Kings 17, which is when the people are led off to exile. The two major um, things that form the people of God in the Hebrew Testament, Egypt and exile. And between Egypt and exile is the period of the judges. This 325 plus years that's captured here. And it's in the context, um, you know, the, the book of the, or the Bible is broken into 66 books and different themes and ways that we structure it. But Judges uh, is in the context of what's known as the former prophets. So Joshua, Judges, First uh, and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. Those six books are the former prophets. And again, the former prophets are are all about this time frame between coming into the uh, to, to the land and taking possession and being exiled because of their their disobedience. And all of these books, the former prophets have a common purpose that's captured in Joshua 21, uh, 45. And I wanted to read that for you. Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel, the people of God, the family of God, were left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. And the same is true for us today, friends. That the promises of God are true and good and can be counted on. And so the former uh, prophets, these six books, Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, are, are narrating this period of time where even when the people of God were unfaithful, his good promises were true and could be counted on. All right, let's talk about the title for a second. What do you think about when you think about the, the word judge? It's kind of a strange name for us too, like for us, like it, it it's, we think about um, like an attorney in a robe litigating in a courtroom, right? Uh, we think about Judge Wapner 
Um, we think about uh, Judge Judy. We, we, we think about, you know, someone in a courtroom with a gavel and, 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 and litigating, right, in that way. But the, the, the Hebrew word for judge is actually a leader or deliverer. And so a judge in, in, uh, for Israel during this time was the leader of, of the nation. And so they were the one that was given authority and charge that God appointed them to, to protect and preserve and to help the people to keep their, their covenant promises to God. Uh, Tim Keller in his commentary on Judges, which is brilliant by the way, if, if I have you know, to recommend uh, one resource as I'm studying through, I'm using Tim's commentary and I would encourage you to um, on the book of Judges. But Tim says, um, you should, we should see the judges as many Christ. They're little mini redeemers, even though they're very flawed people, Jesus was not. But they're, they're pointers uh, to, to the faithful redeemer, uh, the faithful deliverer. And that's what a judge was. They were a redeemer, they were a deliverer, they were, they were a leader. And as flawed as all these judges are, and we're gonna see they get more and more flawed as the story goes, they're all pointing to Jesus, the, the judge who will come, the redeemer deliverer who is perfect, right? And so this is the period um, of, of the judges of Israel, these six major cycles uh, that, that they operate in. And again, they, they match the, the creation narrative of six days. And Samuel, you remember that name, Samuel? Um, Samuel comes from the Hebrew word uh, Shema, which means to hear, and El, God. So uh, Samuel, to hear God, Samuel. And he's the last of the prophets. Um, and he's also the last of the, the, the judges. He was a prophet judge. And so, you know, uh, so what does a prophet judge do? They hear from God and they rule and reign on his behalf. Remember a priest hears from the people and goes before God. And so Samuel is a prophet judge. He's the last of them. He's also the one who anointed the monarchy. Remember uh, the people cry out for a king. We want a king just like all the other nations that we're living among. And it's Samuel that God appoints as the last prophet judge to anoint Saul and he also anoints David. And what's important about that is Samuel is probably, we don't know for sure, but most likely the author of the book of Judges. Um, when you look in your study Bibles, you'll see it listed as unknown. And that's true. We don't know for sure. But we think it was Samuel because he was not only the last of the judges, but Samuel was a first-rate historian. If you look at 1 Chronicles 29, 29, it says that Samuel kept a detailed account of all the, the matters and uh, the history of the kingdom of God. And so he would have known all of these uh, judge cycles and narratives and been able to, as the last judge, look back on all of them and, and chronicle them for us. And so that's really important to know. And as I mentioned, Samuel is the one that God uses as an instrument to anoint the monarchy, uh, the first king of Israel, Saul, who came from the tribe of Benjamin. And then eventually his successor, David, who came from, do you remember, from the tribe of, of Judah. And this is really important because when we jump into chapter one, and let's do that right now with the balance of our time, we're gonna see all the 12 tribes of Israel taking possession of the land that God had given to them, the promised land, or trying to do that. And then the cycles of them failing uh, to, to do that. And what's really interesting is right off the bat in chapter one, we see some of the uh, juxtaposition, if you will, between Judah, who was the first tribe to go and take the territory that was given to them here in chapter one, and Benjamin, who was the second tribe uh, that, to go and try to take the territory, and some of the tension between them, which points us to the monarchy of the tension between Saul and David. They were two very different kings, which Samuel saw firsthand. So I've entitled this Half-Hearted Discipleship, um, this first uh, message, because as we look at chapter one and the first few verses of chapter two, that's what we're gonna see, is the people of God being half-hearted. And remember, we said that, you know, faithful discipleship requires full dependency. And we're going to see the people of God with a portfolio faith. They're trusting God, but they're also trusting in themselves and other people to get the job done. So let me read the, couple of, the first couple of verses to you from, from Judges chapter 1. Are you with me? Okay. All right. I know that's a lot. Um, but I'm going to continue next week with introductory comments because there's a lot to, to, to teach just by way of introduction to understand the book. So come back next week and we'll continue it. Uh, chapter one, verse one. Let me just read the first three verses. After the death of Joshua, remember this is between Moses, Joshua, and exile in 1 Kings 17. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked, asked the Lord, which tribe should go first to attack the Canaanites? 
um, to, to, take, to take the promised land. And the Lord answered, Judah. Okay, where does Jesus come from? Judah. For I have given them victory over the land. Verse three, the men of Judah said to their relatives from the tribe of Simeon, join us to fight against the Canaanites living in the territory allotted to us. Then we will help you conquer your territory. So the men of Simeon went with Judah. Now, Judah, again, first tribe, that's first, you know, first batter up, if you will, of the 12 that's going to go and take the allotted territory of the promised land. And the Lord um, tells us here that they had victory, that they were able, you know, to, to, to take that portion of the land. But immediately we see half-hearted discipleship. And how do we see that? Immediately they call on their friends and they say, you come with us and help us. And then we'll come with you and we'll help you. In other words, God's not enough. So we, we want God, but I also want you just as backup to come with me. And for, you know, for us today reading that, we go, well, that's like a really minor thing. And militarily, that would probably be a good plan strategically to have someone else come with you, to have backup and other people. But what it was, was a sign of the people's heart that they didn't fully trust God. And we're going to see that begin to, in the cycles, begin to unravel as, as Judah doesn't fully obey and they call for backup. It's the first sign that, that they're not fully, uh, wholeheartedly following Jesus and nevertheless, or following God. And nevertheless, Judah takes their inheritance. And then the narrator, if you read chapter one, and I would encourage you two to go to follow the readings, uh, we're introduced to Caleb, who was one of the spies who, who kind of scouted out the land. And God, you know, blesses him and his family. And his family is really a miniature of, of faith, a picture of faithfulness of what God's asking for all of Israel. And so when we read the first 18 verses, if you will, you know, of, of God's faithfulness and, and his promises to, to, to the people, it, it really kind of reads like, man, this is going pretty well. Um, you know, there's a little bit of, when, when we see them, you know, grabbing the Seminites and whatever, there's a little bit of hedging and we can see some signs, but really it's like, this seems to be going okay. And then we get to verse 19 and we start to see the consequences of our compromise when we're compromising and not following God fully. And we start to see the effects of that. Uh, let's look at verse 19. The Lord was with the people of Judah and they took possession of the hill country, part of it, but they failed to drive out the people living in the plains who had what? Iron chariots. And you go, okay, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, again, they begin to look at the size of their problem instead of the size of their God. And they look at the people who have iron chariots and they go, we don't have iron chariots. And so how in the world could we drive them out? You know, God, God must not be with us. This doesn't make any sense. He's, he's not going to come through for us in this way. And so Judah doesn't fully trust God's strength. And they begin to compare their strength with the strength of their problem. Any, anybody relate to that? And instead of hearing from God and fully trusting him, they begin to doubt. Doubt begins to, to creep in. Remember, faithful discipleship requires what? It requires full dependence. And we, we, we begin to see that unravel. And by the time we get to verse 21, look at it with me in chapter one, the tribe of Benjamin, the next tribe up, they fail to take uh, possession of the territory that had been given to them in the promised land. And then it happens again. And tribe after tribe after tribe after tribe, and you can read it for yourself in verses 19 through 36 here. Tribe after tribe after tribe fails to take possession of the land. Everyone watch this. It's one thing for God to give you a good gift, and he has, beginning with Jesus. But he's giving us so many good gifts. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. That's what the Bible says. It's one thing for God to give you a gift. It's another thing, watch this, for you to take possession of it. To you to grab, for you to grab hold of it. To possess it. To really know that, that it's yours and it's a gift from God and to, to trust in him. And that's what we see happening here is God has given them the gift of the physical land. But more importantly, the land was only a picture of his promises, his faithfulness to them. And even though it's given to them, they fail to take full possession of it because they, they're half-hearted. They don't trust him. And when we read the rest of chapter one, we see them failing over and over and over again because of this half-heartedness. But what's interesting when we read it and the way the narrator writes it, most likely Samuel, 
it's still sort of um, a veneer of, of reasons why they couldn't take, you know, the territory. It was the, the iron chariots and the people were too strong. And uh, Tim Keller says that the rest of chapter one reads like a press release. It's like Israel releasing, a, you know, a, a, a press statement and spinning why they're failing. You know, well, it's because of this and it's because of that. It's because of whatever. And we could be lulled into sympathy for them. And because all of us can relate to them in our own lives of not trusting God fully. And when we just go, well, I, I would have, but, and you fill in the blank for you. And then we see God's assessment of what's going on. Okay, we're going to finish here today. And it happens in chapter two, if you're following along with me. And let me just read to you God's assessment of the situation. After all 12 tribes fail to take full possession of the land that he's given to them, as they compare to other people, as they're half-hearted in their dependency on him, and then they begin to kind of put a veneer over it of why. Let me just tell you all the reasons why I really couldn't trust God. You know, because my life is just it's, just, too, it's just too hard. If you only knew what I'm going through, you would understand why I have to have a portfolio of faith. And then God gives his assessment. Judges 2, I'm going to read just the first five verses. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said to the Israelites, I brought you out of Egypt into this land that I swore to give your ancestors. And I said, I would never break my covenant with you, my promise. For your part, you were not to make any covenants with the people living in the land. Instead, you were to destroy their altars, but you disobeyed my command. And then what an honest question here in verse two. Why did you do this? You ever think about that in your own life? Why do I not trust God? Why did I not listen to the promises of God? Why did I not take possession of the good gifts that God wants to give to me? That's a good question to sit with. And God continues here in verse three. So now I declare that I will no longer drive out the people living in your land. They're going to be thorns in your sides, and we're going to see that over the next couple of months. And their gods will be a constant temptation to you. Verse 4, when the angel of the Lord finished speaking to all the Israelites, the people wept loudly. So they called that place Bochum, which means weeping, and they offered sacrifices there to the Lord. So what's going on here? Although God's made this covenant promise with his people and he's not gonna abandon them. Don't mistake this. He doesn't abandon them. But what he says is, because you didn't love me and obey me, I'm not gonna drive the people out. They're gonna constantly be living beside you. They're gonna be a thorn in your side and a constant temptation to you, which was the whole reason why God wanted the people of Israel to drive the Canaanites out because he didn't want them to be constantly tempted by their gods. And now he says, I'm not going to do that, but I'm not going to abandon you. God allows oppression and God allows them to be a thorn in Israel's side to cause them to repent and turn back to him and fully depend on him and his lordship in their life. Sound familiar? God allows oppression to come to us. God allows things to happen so that we, we get back on our knees and we open up our hands as we close every service with at New City and we say, Lord, I'm depending fully on you. What, what is this a sign of, by the way, when you put your hands open like this? Surrender. I'm surrendering back to you and I'm receiving and taking possession of the gifts that you have for me. And so God allowed all this to happen and this continual cycle of, of, the, of um, the Canaanites to come against them and battle against them and to be a, a thorn in their side so that the people of God's, uh, th their hands would be open and they would once again surrender to his kingship and his lordship and even ultimately exile as we'll get into later, was the way that God wanted to ultimately bring his people back into the land and try again because he's faithful. I, I want to finish here because this is, this is incredible and you, and you, you, you may have missed it. Uh, in chapter two, verse one, the angel of the Lord, it says, went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said to the Israelites, I brought you out of Egypt into the land that I swore to give your ancestors. And I said, I would never break my covenant with you. And you go, okay, let's get to the good part. Uh, why is that important? Okay, so Gilgal in Joshua chapter five was the place right on the precipice of the, of the promised land 
where God renewed his covenant with his people. And if you go and read Joshua uh, chapter 5, it says, uh, God says to the people through the angel of the Lord, this is the place and today is the day where I am rolling away all the reproach of Egypt. Those 400 plus years of, of slavery and consequence for your unfaithfulness and not trusting me, I'm rolling all of that away. I'm forgiving all of that and I'm renewing my steadfast love. I'm showing you how faithful I am, that I'm a promise keeping God to you. And they renamed that place Gilgal because in the Hebrew, Gilgal means to roll. And so the angel of the Lord comes from Gilgal to the people and they knew when the angel came from that place what that place represented to them. That it represented the place where God rolled away his reproach and where he renewed his covenant with them and reminded them that I am a promise keeping God, that I am a way maker, that I am faithful, that I, that I love you and I forgive you because I do, not because of anything that you have done. It was an angel of the Lord that came and and gave this message and, and that little phrase to roll, to roll away comes back. And do you remember when it comes back? Matthew chapter 28. Suddenly there was a great earthquake and an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled aside the, what stone? The tombstone of Jesus is rolled away and he sits on it. And he's the first one to announce that morning, that resurrection morning, that first Easter morning to the women. He's not here. He's risen. And I just, I just think it's such a cool picture of God's faithfulness all throughout the course of history. As, as man is trying to find anything, as all of us are trying to find anything to satisfy, to make us happy, to fulfill us. And over and over again, we're on the frenzoid, hanging upside down, screaming and saying, God, if you get me out of this, I'll never get back on this ride again. I'll never disobey you ever again. And then we come back an hour later and we get back on the ride. And what this shows us, even here in this first story in Judges, in chapter one, right off the bat is that God is faithful. And even in the faithlessness, the half-heartedness of the people of Israel, he sends an angel from that place that means to roll away. And it's a, it's a pointer, it's a foreshadowing of what he'll ultimately do. The angel of the Lord coming and rolling the stone away of Jesus' grave, defeating death forever and making it possible for us to have a right relationship with him, reminding us that our reproach has been removed because of Jesus. And the angel of the Lord comes and reminds us of that and rolls the stone away as a sign of God's victory over death forever. God is faithful in every story of the Bible, guys. Watch this. Every page of the Bible is about Jesus. Every story, including the judges that we're going to study the next couple months, is a pointer. It's a foreshadowing of the ultimate judge to come, the ultimate deliverer and redeemer who will roll away all of our reproach and forgive us and invite us into relationship with him. And this is what God asks of us. Ask of us. In response to that, he asks us to, to find him, to follow him uh, in every area of our life. And in order to, to faithfully follow God, to, to be a faithful disciple, I've got to have full dependence. And that's the story of the judges. And that's the story for each of us today. I'm really excited about the journey with you. To Christ alone be the glory. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Um, Thank you for the beauty of the scriptures and even the rhythms of the scripture that we see today. The ways that you communicate with us, you you so desperately want to make yourself known to us. And ultimately, you made yourself known through Jesus, the ultimate revelation of God to us. And so today, as we begin this study of the book of Judges, we want to ask that you would bless it and use it in our lives to speak truth and encourage us, to correct us, to equip us, and to help us ultimately to be wholehearted and faithful to following after you. Just like the people of Israel had experienced your faithfulness, we experience that today. We receive that today. Great is your faithfulness, God. Morning by morning, your, your mercies are new. 
that your love never gives up, it never runs out on us. And through all the, the cycles and the, the twists and the turns of our life, that the constant is your faithful love, the solid rock of your hope and grace through Jesus. So we celebrate that today together in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand as we respond by singing this great hymn of the faith? Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand hath provided and great is thy faithfulness Lord unto summer and a winter and springtime
So at, at the end of the ride, guys, it's all about God's faithfulness. God is true. God is sure. God has hope and love for us. And I hope you've heard that in your heart of hearts today, whatever you bring into the room this morning, that God's faithfulness is great. And we're going to see that as we continue to study the book of Judges together. And so you're going to be handed a, an outline when you leave. And I just want to encourage you to put this in a place that you can see it in your Bible or journal and read along with us and, and be here. And when you're not able to, 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 to watch online and continue to study together. If you're visiting with us today, if today's your first time, I hope it won't be your last time. I hope you'll come back and just know that this is a place that you're welcomed and a place that you can connect and be encouraged and, and find God. And that's our simple mission here is to help people find and follow Jesus. And, and we're all on that journey together. So please come back. If you're interested in getting connected here, the easiest way to do that is to go to Connection Point, which is straight out these doors. Um, we have a team that's waiting to meet you. If you're new, we have a gift for you. There's a connection card in your seat back right now if you look. Um, it's got a place for you to let us know that you're here and a place to share your prayer requests too. And we love to pray for you. We have um, a, a large group of people that pray every week. Every Monday, we get a list of prayer requests and we pray. So if we can pray for you, fill the card out. You can put it in one of the offering boxes, uh, the green boxes on the way out, or hand it to one of us and we'll turn it in. We'd love to pray for you. You can do it online too. And then lastly, part of our uh, worship, uh, an act of worship is to give. If you're visiting with us, if New City is not your home, please don't feel obligated to do that. We want this service to be our gift to you, and we're grateful you're here. But if you're a part of our family, um, part of worship is, is giving. And so you can do that as you leave today in the green boxes uh, or online as well. So um, I do want to just mention before we go, I wonder um, if you thought about where you were um, 21 years ago. It's amazing to uh, think that was 21 years ago. Um, and I want to just um, sit for a moment in silence and remember um, what happened 21 years ago and to have a quiet prayer um, for our country, for those who were so profoundly affected. And then we're going to give a benediction. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to extend your hands when I begin that. And not only to, as an act of surrender uh, to give, but also to receive the blessings of God and to pray that for those who um, today marks profound grief and hurt um, as it does for all of us, but for family and friends that lost someone. So let's, let's, uh, let's have a moment of just quiet. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and lift up his countenance upon you. May the Lord be gracious and faithful to you throughout this week. And may the Lord fill you with his hope and his peace and his love. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen, amen. Love you guys, thanks for being here.